Hello, hello, Kristen here. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the podcast name change. If you hear any old terminology, that's why. Thank you for listening. Hello, hello, and notable women. Welcome back to the Notable Woman podcast. I have a great interview I want to share with you today that is from Super U Summit 3.0. Now, if you follow the Notable Woman closely, and you're listening to this episode in real time, you know that we just finished up the Super U Summit 4.0. Whether you've seen 1, 2, 3, and 4, whether you haven't seen any, the great part about the Super U Summits is that the videos exist in the group forever. You can always go and watch them. So if you want to catch this talk or any of the talks from the Super U Summits, you can go to thesocietyofnotablewomen.com, and then you can watch the videos and learn more. Now, this is an interview with Crystal Bennett. Harris. She is a change maker. She works in change process management, and she is just a wonderful, lovely, lovely person. We call this interview The View from the Pillow Fort because it was all about her kind of taking a step back, rethinking about things, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So take a listen and let me know if you have any thoughts. You can even head over to the group and comment directly on the video. I'll catch you at the end to fill in any gaps. Hello, everyone. Kristen Downs here with the wonderful Crystal Bennett Harris. And so we are here today as a part of the Super U Summit. And this is part of our bonus talks. We had to reschedule because we were supposed to do it on Tuesday, but I was in Pennsylvania. It was just not going to happen. So we rescheduled for today. Crystal's so lovely to help me out with my time issue. And so we have been friends for a while. We met in a Facebook group that I will not name where something Chrissy rescued me <laughs> crystal is being treated that very nicely and i do not like that oh so i will not tell that story because it's not a nice story and we are having a nice conversation but that's how i first met her she stood out to me because she was so authentic <laughs> and we're going to talk about that and so i have just really 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 appreciated her so much so much in everything that she does and so I've been sort of, we'll call it polite stalking Crystal for some time. And I really wanted to do an interview with her. She was sort of ghosted me a little bit, but I'm persistent. So she agreed to have this conversation with me, which we're calling the view from the pillow fort. And so I did not ghost Crystal. I literally told her, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But I've got people that can do it. And I like started trying to send her people. And she was, she was persistent and lovely. And actually an angel that has like kind of helped move me forward again. So I'm very appreciative. I appreciate that you agreed and that you didn't ghost me. You were incredibly, incredibly direct. And I appreciate that <laughs> quite a lot. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Oh, that is a terrible question. So I'm a mom of three. That is very important to me. One of the things that I like to talk about right up front, if ever I'm being recorded or people are watching me speak, is that I have dissociative identity disorder. I've had it forever. We were talking about like the word authenticity over my shoulder because I'm always thinking about it, being myself and not doing what I call splitting. So I have a little bit of a committee in my head. So if I pause or I'm listening, nobody else is talking about who I'm listening to. It's incredibly well managed and it's amazing because I feel like it makes me a genius. I'm like able to like, hear a whole bunch of stuff in a room and synthesize information very quickly and say, oh, this is what we're all saying, which is how I got into kind of what I do for work. So at work, I'm a change manager. And that 
will deal with like training and comms. But really what I do is I get into a room with folks and I say, how do we help the people in your organization adopt behaviors that you have decided are going to be profitable? So I get into like the root cause of why people do what they do, why they don't do it, and why they adopt and why they don't. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do for work. And then so I say adopt because I am like a self-proclaimed early adopter. It is one of my favorite parts of myself, which I think is so funny because we're calling this the view from the pillow fort because when Kristen, <laughs> she reached out to me and other, I was like, just call me. Can you call me? Can you talk? Mm-hmm. And I was like, Kristen, listen, leave me alone. I am in my pillow fort. I am like under a table with a blanket and like my phone and Netflix and popcorn. Like that's what I'm doing right now. I am not being any of the badass businesswoman that I typically am. I am totally in hiding. So, you know, it's so crazy because it's like one of the first times in my life that I've not just adopted, just said yes automatically because, you know, I was hiding. So may I ask, I'm curious about when... Do people recognize that they need a change manager? So they seek you and that work out? Or do you have to be like, y'all need this? No. So typically there's a project sponsor. That person is the person with the purpose and the purse for the change. Nice. And these are large organizations. And so usually it's a system related change. We want to move from SAP to Maximo or something like that. And we've got all these folks and we know we're going to need to pull them along this change with us. So they come seek me out as kind of one of the, you know, beginning people on the team. Mm -hmm. It's also a lot of times when there's reputation management stuff going on, Mm. people look at me like, ooh, we just got into some deep patootie with the public. Mm. I say patootie. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that (laughs) with your people. So I'm like censoring myself. The way that I like talk about this on my podcast and everything is that I don't believe in censoring women. So I feel like women can say whatever they want. And then I'll just put a note if someone was to say an expletive. Could be me, could be you, could be the cat. We don't know. Yeah, she's spicy. She's spicy. Yeah, definitely. So then I would just put a note so people would know that, you know, this is not one of those lives you watch around your kids unless they're tiny sailors. You don't know. You know, hey, I know a couple that can really drop them, so. I think it was like two or three at Christmas. He was calling everybody MF. And I was like, whoa, pretty early. I don't know where you heard that from, but good story. My son has started saying crispy, crunchy, but using it as an expletive. And I'm not sure if I should stop him. But he's like, oh, mama, crispy, crunchy. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Don't you say crispy, crunchy to me like that. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to try to pick that up because I go sailor too quickly. So I'm going to try crispy, crunchy. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you stub your toe. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. My next change management question is, you talked about this a little bit when you first explained to me what it is that you did. It's like a two-parter. You mentioned that some people are really good about it, I guess you said, like they're into the change. And then there are the, oh, heck knows. And so for you, as someone who can synthesize this sort of information, how do you experience that when you go into a company? Yeah, so they typically bring me in for the oh heck knows. I try to identify them early and try to get them on board. So the first thing I have kind of written my own change model is called change inclusion. So I go through inclusion as an acronym. I go through the nine steps and I figure out like I take an inventory of the change. I gauge the necessity of the change. I figure out like what the commitment is. What's the level of the change? Like it's the whole acronym, right? You know, there are the people who are like, rah, 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 I really like this. 
those at 13% of people that are early adopters. Most people aren't. Most Mm -hmm. people want to just do their jobs and they don't want it upset. And so people like literally, you can find me like sitting on the floor next to cubicles and having conversations with people, which I think is what makes it so cool what I do, because it's really about connection. Some people you're only going to bring along when you listen. And typically those are the people who know what's going on in an organization mm-hmm. and they can help structure you know, the change. A lot of times the sponsors don't know exactly what the resistance to change is. Mm-hmm. And so I play two roles. Maybe I'm a little bit of like the mole or the snitch because mm-hmm. I have these conversations and then I take them back to the sponsors like, hey, you know, your people are saying, how can we figure this out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so still back. I mean, I do, I love what I do. Because it really is all about conversations with people and kind of listening to their stories and that kind of. Now, can you tell us yeah. about inclusion, what it stands for, or is that proprietary? You no, know, I mean, I guess I can tell you, or maybe it should be proprietary. What I can tell you, <laughs> so inclusion is I take an inventory of the change, what is changing, and then I gauge the necessity of the change. If we don't change, how effective will we be? And a lot of times, that is value, that's time, that's monetary effective. Then what's the commitment to change? The people who hired me, if we don't get 100% air, 180 degrees, if we get 110 degrees, are they going to be satisfied or no? Then what's the level of the change? Is it a big change or a little change? What's utopia look like? At the end of change, can we define how the organization is going to look different, defining success? Then there's an acronym I use, SAM, that's the S. So what skills, attitude, metrics do we need to put in place? That's usually the training piece. How are we going to inspect the change? Will anybody feel othered as a result of this change? A policy or redownsizing? Are people losing jobs? And then what's next, which are kind of action steps for sustainability and continuous process improvement. So that's the acronym I go through. (laughs) And I go through that acronym in my own life. Like I made it up. There are lots of businesses out there that teach change management, one big one, but I felt like a lot of things were missing especially that other piece. Like we talk about how I met Kristen because she rescued me (laughs) from a place I felt I was being like bullied a little bit. But yeah, is anybody feeling like left out? I don't know that we really consider that. I think that's great. We have a healthcare town hall today and talk about he, there was he, there was It was intense, intense. I really went for the people watching. I conjecture that the university is going to make whatever change they're going to make with healthcare, and it doesn't really matter what I say. But I wanted to see all the people interact. I love that. But it was a little more he than I was anticipating, and I was anticipating it to be bumpy. But the thing that I thought was missing, and everybody had to listen to me talk about this today already, a person like you is what I thought we were missing. So, you know, there's all these people with these opinions. There are professors who have family members who are getting cancer treatment right now. The last thing they want is their family member to have to go on different insurance. There are people with chronic health conditions. These are really, really serious concerns, and they need to be heard. And they need people to comfort them that this change is going to consider you, and we're going to take care of you, and we're going to keep you safe, and that we don't have that person who's doing that. And so it was bad. I think that's a nice way to say it. So I really see that role and the importance of it. And I've certainly seen it before, but oftentimes I've seen it in, I would say more like, we need this copier or death or whatever, you know, but this is real serious and people are really intense about it. 
So I'll go ahead and recommend you over at the university. Yeah. And most of the time, those decisions have already been made, right? Like, this is where the organization is moving. This is where they found value. Typically, yeah. it's cost savings. And we just got to usher people through it. But the usher matters. Right thing, sometimes it may not be the right thing. You know, people are very affected in my job. There's tons of empathy, which is really cool. Well, and you're so authentic, too, which I think really matters because when people feel like you're feeding them a load of BS, when they don't believe you, then there's no point to have any kind of conversation. Nobody's believing right. you. Mm-hmm. There's nobody's going to believe me. Yeah. And I love, like, what's so crazy is, you know, you think about change management, right? You think about feeling stuck because the reason why I was in my pillow fort was because I totally love what I do, Right. But what I'm finding is like that inclusion model or like the skills that people need to change organizations, like people need them in their real lives. Like Mm -hmm. I actually go through that model when I'm making decisions sometimes and that helps me be an early adopter, like helps me move forward. And I'm like, everybody needs to include change as a part of like their plans. And I got stuck because I don't know that I did (laughs) this time, like. I'm always preaching about it, but I don't know that I did it. I just kind of looked up and I was just like, gosh, like, I don't know that I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. I know that I'm really good at it, but Mm -hmm. I don't know how I feel. So anyway, when we talk about go through the change inclusion model and you say, well, what's next? What's like continuous improvement? Like what's next for me? I've talked to you a little bit about it. So maybe that's a little bit of a segue, but I want to start. Let's do it. Yes. (laughs) One more question about your pillow fort. One of my favorite moments is in Finding Nemo when Marlon is like, we step out and back in. Yeah, back in. Out yeah. And back in. I feel like I do that in New York City traffic all the time. So are we like out of the pill fort? Are we in? Or are we doing out and back in? How are we feeling? No, I feel like you in this moment has like pushed us out of the pillow fort. I don't know that I'm a pillow fort kind of girl, but I was in it, you know? And I think we all get kind of stuck there. They're very comfortable. You know, it was nice. I am. I was very comfortable. But the thing is, you know, you were like, nope, you're going to do this. You're going to have a conversation. And I was like, well, surely I'm not going to have this conversation. And I'm going to tell them about what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to have a website. And I'm not going to have opt-in. Like, why would I do that to her people? I'm not going to do that to her people. So at this point of the podcast, I already told you this, but I'm calling it Ho and Tell. I call it a podcast about what pleases us. That is a big transition from what we were just talking about, change management. But What not many people know is that I wrote a book years ago, like in 2010, called Jointly Fit, How Our Sex Organs Reveal the Secret for Conflict Resolution in Marriage. And so I've been studying like sex, sexuality, that whole thing. Like I was like being a sex worker (laughs) for a long time. And then I just hid, you know, I just hid in corporate America because it was like a lot easier than the raw emotion of relationships. And then I end up this change manager and I'm dealing with raw emotion like every day. (laughs) Yeah. So I was really excited about the idea of launching this podcast, which I have not started yet, but I'm just excited about the idea of having these conversations. No, I think that it's really interesting that you talked about stepping back from raw emotion, but really being right in it. And I think that's so true. The number of times where I've said, I'm going to step out of this thing. And then I'm like, Oh, I just stepped right back into it, you know, on the other side. Because who you are is going to follow you. You really can't run because then angels like Kristen come and grab you. (laughs) That would be like, if I had advice, like Malia Holbrook, she spoke earlier in the week about being Luderlines, which she's amazing. But she's one of those people, I call it the shank, right? Whenever I'm not being me, 
she comes in with the shank and she's like, no girl, you come back to us. You know, <laughs> you be who we know you to be. And you were that for me for sure. So everybody needs to get them somebody like that. Yes. You know, we'll make them say yes, even if they're saying no. You're a shanker. I totally agree. I think that that's a really good point that you need a person that has so much faith in you and they're going to say, I heard no, but yes, at the same time. So I'm just going to keep like pulling, 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 pulling. And so I love, love, love this idea of the podcast. So tell me the title of the book again. The book is called Jointly Fit, How Our Sex Organs Reveal the Secret to Complex Resolution in Marriage. So I actually build a profile out of each one of the vagina, clitoris, penis, and testicles and do like kind of a profile Mm -hmm. and it's male-female relationships. I talk about men being penile, you know, that attitude where they're thrusting forward or being testicular, where they're like drawing in and got thick skin around them. Mm -hmm. Women being very vaginal, where they just take, 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 or being very clitoral, where they are all about their own pleasure. And then we talk about how the organs fit together in a way to find balance. Excellent. It's really a cool book, but I found that I didn't like working with couples one-on-one because again, that like raw emotion, Mm -hmm. but there's still something to it, right? Like that thing, like in the podcast, we say pleasure, delight, authenticity, and connection. Like those are my four words. Like what pleases us? Like what causes pleasure? Like I find that women approach sex or forgive me for talking real binary right now, but like women approach sex as am I worthy of consumption? A lot of times and like men will approach sex with like, am I performing or any, you know, we can put that in a blender and it can go to any gender role or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how many people approach sex saying, am I being authentic? Is this real connection? Like, Mm -hmm. am I really being pleased? Or like the question of the difference between pleasure and delight for Mm me. You know, like pleasure being that kind of wash over kind of satisfaction and delight being kind of like that effervescent kind of satisfaction. Like I just have so many questions and I actually hope to go into a PhD program next August, an organizational science program where I'll also be studying the same thing, pleasure, delight, authenticity, and connection in the workplace. What I think is, like my hypothesis is that businesses who want to attract and retain employees businesses that want to attract and retain customers that are loyal and people want to attract and retain partners that are loyal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all the same. I think the same thing might be firing in the amygdala. And so I hope to kind of break that down and extract some of that data and kind of be the Brene Brown researcher, storyteller of sex and sexuality. <laughs> I think that is awesome. Now, I'm definitely going to call you doctor all the time. I just want to say that like, that is a rule of mine that if I'm talking to a doctor, even if they're like, call me by a first name, I'm like, no. Okay, well, I am not a doctor yet, but when I am, I'm going to be like, I'm a doctor on my shirt. Pre-doctor. Everybody call me doctor. I'm going to be that pretentious. I'm going to put the doctor on my face like a bug yes, like tattoo. Yes, I totally, like, I'd have a button, you know, like, call me yeah. doctor. I thought for a while I was going to get my PhD, but now I've decided I'm going to change my first name to doctor. I am. Um, I think it's just going to be easier. It's easier for everyone. Just go faster. Faster. You know, it's still going to take a while because paperwork, but just doctor. Dr. Kristen, that'll be my new name. That's good. Yeah. That's actually good. I'm trying to get it. Like, why would I get a PhD when I could just change my first name to doctor? Right. Right. I just think, Uh, and then I get the benefits of everyone calling me doctor and I don't. That's uh, a better idea. I like yours too. I think it's a good one. (laughs) 
Okay, now you told me that this spurned you into making a site, right? Yes. 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 So where so can we, we do find have you? a website up? Nice. Hoentel.com. You can't just Google Hoentel. You got to put the .com because the site is brand new. So we are not popping on the SEO. And apparently there are some YouTube videos with Hoentel in it. They didn't trademark it, so whatever. Don't watch those videos and have fun if you want. But those aren't me. <laughs> But yeah, you can go to hoentel.com. We have a hoentel underscore official on Instagram where I'm going to start posting videos. I already posted a welcome video. And we built a little PDF for you, which, you know, shower sex, typically, this is like your gift, but like shower sex typically isn't all that great because you just feel like you're being waterboarded or you're like trying not to. (laughs) But there is a little stool you can buy off of Amazon that I think is supposed to be for the elderly. But it has made a big difference in my life, and I have decided to share it with all of you. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. It is is fully adjustable. It's got handlebars, non-slip. I mean, this stool is worth the $25, and then we've got a little handy-dandy guide with, like, seven different positions that you can use with the stool. So That is amazing. And so I'll make sure that I get the link from you and put that in the post up at the top. So above this video, everyone will see it. I'll put both the site with the .com. So if people want to go to YouTube, they can. And then also with the PDF. And I just think it's so amazing that you made this transition out of your pillow fort. And you're going to start Ho and Tell Podcast. And I'm going to start Ho and Tell Podcast. (laughs) I'm already going to start posting videos on Instagram and maybe start drumming up some of this conversation. And then, y'all, I'm going to lean on Kristen so that she can tell me all the things that make podcasting wonderful because she knows them. (laughs) I do love podcasting quite a bit. What I always say, and I think it'll be perfect for your podcast in particular, but I find listening to a podcast is such an intimate act. You know, you are like literally putting someone in your earbuds, in your ears. And I feel like the people whose podcasts I listen to, I feel like either one, I would take a bullet for them. You know, I would carry them across Manhattan. I'd be like, get on my back, Pat Flynn. I'll take you wherever you need to go. I just feel so personally connected to them. And I feel like if I saw them on the street, I would just be like, you know, like, hey, how's your wife? What's going on? Whatever. You know, so it's such a unique experience. And, you know, most people who do listen to podcasts are listening. Like for me, I listen on the train. I'm going into work. People listen while they're in their homes, like doing the dishes or the laundry. Or they listen in their car. And these are very, I don't want to say unique, but they're these solitary moments where it's you and this individual. And I just think it's such a huge medium. I think it's only getting bigger. And I love that you're going to join me in, you know, all my podcast groups. I'm so excited. We're still figuring out the format. But what I know for sure is that I want stories. And I don't know if folks are going to be telling these stories anonymously or if they're going to share or whatever. But I'm going to ask for stories of the best sex lover you've ever had, you know, best sex or lover that you've ever had. Like, I want to know the real, like, salacious details. Like, I want to know, like, how you met and what made them the best. I'm hoping to kind of structure the questions so that at some point we can have enough stories to start extracting data from the stories. And Mm -hmm. so I'm still working on how we have to structure that so there's some consistency and we can get consistent data. But I am just really excited to hear, you know, one-on-one, just like you said, in that very intimate setting, like what made you feel vulnerable? What made you feel pleased? What made it good? What made it special? Like, 
you know, I don't know that we talk about sex in that way very often. I, we talk about, you know, how to feel like on the outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. I think that it's very rare for people to have honest conversations about sex. And mm-hmm. I think that it's incredibly important to all of our well-beings, you know, physical, psychological. And if you have a partner, then it's a great way for everyone to connect. And I know it's a big part of my life. So I'm happy to talk about it. It's a pretty good way to connect with yourself too. So Yes, yes, I completely concur. And I think that it's something that women in particular, not that you said right. that it's just women per se, but no, it's something that people are really craving. A small, tiny story where I will not reveal the individual's name, but I have a elderly person that lives near me who got a reader, you know, a Kindle for her birthday. And she came over and asked me to help her set it up. And I did. And then she said, can you give me that book? You know, that like gray book. I said, uh, you want to read Fifty Shades of Grey? And she said, yeah, that's what I want to read. Okay, sure. You know, so I downloaded the book for her. And then maybe like two, three days later, she comes back and she says, could you go to the beginning of that book again for me? And I was like, of course I can. <laughs> no problems there. I want people to feel as free as my elderly neighbor reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you so much for leaving the pillow fort and coming and talking to me. I am such a big fan of you and your energy and everything you do. And I can't wait to listen to this podcast. Yay. Thank you so much, Kristen. And thank you to your amazing audience. I mean, Summit has been really, really great. And I am so honored to be a part for real, for real. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview from the Super U Summit 3.0, Crystal Bennett Harris. I just enjoy her so, so, so much. So if you want to hear more interviews like these, or you want to hear some of the talks, just go over to the societyofnotablewomen.com. We would be so happy to have you there with us. That's it for now. I'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye.